Welcome to our weekly classified Grayman Intelligence audio brief. Over the next few minutes, Wesley from Super SE is going to share with you the most important survival intelligence stories that have occurred over the past week from the Grayman briefing. This timely and concise reporting will help you to stay sharp and be well ahead of the knowledge curve so that you can be better prepared for what's coming down the road. All right, Wes, take it away. All right. Thanks, David. So we'll get right into the brief. From the Gray Man Briefing, this is a weekly recap of news and developments for your situational awareness, as always, with the bottom line up front. All right. In this week's briefing, we're going to cover developments and news all the way back to February 22nd up until today. So our first briefing is going to be on privacy, censorship, and we'll dabble a little bit in law and order as it kind of relates to that. So up in Canada, Google has begun blocking access to news content. They're saying it's only affecting a small percentage of the population. They're doing this just in case the Online News Act, that's uh, Bill C-18, just in case that bill passes. And this is the one that's going to make online media platforms have to negotiate deals to pay news publishers for the content that's shared on that social media outlet. So yeah, percentage there is being blocked from seeing certain news coverage. So so since we're talking about Google, a news aggregator organization conducted an analysis of Google News. This is the Google website. I believe it's news.google.com. This is where they... They aggregate news from different sources and put on their landing page. A lot of people use it to get their news in kind of a one-stop spot. So the analysis found that Google displayed a, quote, strong left-leaning political bias. It showed that on the homepage, Google promoted left or far left-leaning news stories 61% of the time and promoted right or far right-leaning news stories only 3% of the time. And by news stories, we're basically what this is saying 61% of the time it shared things from left-leaning, such as CNN or CNBC, versus Fox News or OAN, only 3% of the time they shared stories from those news outlets. Additionally, they conducted analysis on the five days leading up to the 2022 midterm elections, and during those five days, 88% of the news stories were from left or far left-leaning news outlets, while 0% were from right or far right-leaning news outlets. And the Seattle Police Department has discontinued the use of an artificial intelligence-powered software known as Trulio. So this software would analyze the video and audio captured by officers' body cams. It would analyze their voices, their language, and help generate flags if the AI determined that the officer was saying or doing something that could be questionable. The issues that were coming out of this were kind of twofold. One, the officers had no idea the AI software was being used, that it was on their body cams. Um, And also citizens, even those who just happened to be in the background of the videos, their words, their visuals was being observed by this AI and being analyzed. And these are just, you know, standard private citizens that had nothing to do with whatever was going on. That could be the people, just bystanders, or of course, it could even be people that have uh, had encounters with officers that maybe would never end up being charged or they were never convicted. But all the video and audio captured of them 
was being analyzed by this AI software. So even the ACLU came out against this, calling for a campaign to stop the spying software that officers didn't know about, and that was unethically reviewing citizens. And on the topic of law enforcement, moving up to New York and over to New York, the NYPD chief of department, he's called on businesses to shift their stance on masks. He wants businesses to require customers to not wear masks when they first come in. This is because larceny, shopliftings, they're continuing to increase ever since 2020 when masks came out. Um, the NYPD leader said, quote, we are asking the businesses to make this condition of entry that people, when they come in, they show their face. They should be able to identify themselves. So he's wanting people to come into the businesses without a mask on, at least when they first come in. He's explaining they can wear a mask after that, but their face needs to be shown so at least the store owner or cameras can see their face in case they're coming in to rob. He went on to say that they're seeing retail stores of people coming in wearing, quote, masks, sometimes masks, hoods, and latex gloves, and they're being buzzed in, they're being allowed to enter into the store, and then we have a robbery of some kind or some kind of property being stolen, end quote. So now the police there are saying to not wear masks when you first come in, and it's true. The masks have led to a massive amount of, I mean, maybe robberies, but definitely shopliftings. I, I've seen so much evidence of that. I've experienced it personally. It's because of the mask. People can hide their identity and they can be on about their way. As long as they're smart, how they egress, you know, at least by foot from the area before they get in the vehicle. Most of these people are being caught either because they just keep doing it, people recognize them even with a mask on, or, you know, through license plate identification. All right, let's shift over to civil and political unrest. The House of Representatives in Idaho have passed a bill in support of what's being called the Greater Idaho Movement. This is basically a movement to see 13 Oregon counties leave the state of Oregon and come over to Idaho, be incorporated into Idaho as part of their state. Basically, 11 counties in Oregon that fall under those 13, they voted on a recent ballot measure to further consider that transition from the liberal state of Oregon to the more conservative state of Idaho, which is why this movement has begun. They're trying to shift away from that blue state and be under control of, of more conservative leaders. So yeah, the, the House of Representatives there in Idaho have passed it. At least 11 counties in Oregon are interested in it. Not really sure if it's going to happen. The Idaho Senate Minority Leader says it has, quote, virtually no chance of occurring, but things are happening. Things are in motion for it to occur. We'll see. And leading up to February 25th, a lot of news organizations, including us, were following an upcoming National Day of Hate. This was scheduled and organized by neo-Nazi groups. It kind of got its start from Crew 319. This is that anti-Semitic extremist group out of Iowa. But, you know, even though there's a lot of talk about it, we didn't see anything materialize. Those supporting it, it kind of, I wouldn't say it went viral, but those with that same kind of hate ideology, they promoted it. They tried to make it seem like it was going to be a big day of going out and graffitiing and protesting against Jews, uh, including we had a couple of other hate groups join in on it, White Lives Matter and Natsock Florida. But looking back now that we've obviously passed that date, I didn't see anything materialize. I've checked the news just before doing this podcast. 
doesn't look like anything happened. A whole lot of talk about a whole lot of coverage to kind of keep that narrative out there that the greatest threat are white supremacists. Nothing actually occurred, even though even those who support that ideology made it seem like something big was going to happen. It was really just a small group of people, mainly online, advertising it. So nothing developed there. So moving on with civil unrest, I've got one major incident to cover and then uh, quite a few small ones. So let's just start with the major thing you may already be tracking. So over in Atlanta, in the forest nearby, law enforcement and emergency responders are building a training facility. It'll be for firemen, EMS, police. But there's a lot of people that's against it. It kind of started out first because they're having to cut down some trees to build this training facility. So you had the the eco-environmentalists and eco-terrorists kind of join in. They basically refer to themselves as forest defenders or part of the Defend the Forest campaign. And now Antifa for the past at least six or seven months have been widely involved in it. And since December, we've seen 40 people, 40 plus people arrested and charged with domestic terrorism. There, the events that's happened here have led to riots, especially in downtown Atlanta. And they just had a week of solidarity last month, and that was leading up to a mass mobilization event, which will actually still ongoing as I'm recording this, March 4th through 11th. Well, the first weekend that that was occurring, I believe it was the 5th, might have been the 6th, during that week of action, they call it, during the mass mobilization, 35 rioters or activists who conducted direct actions were detained or arrested. 23 of them were charged with domestic terrorism, including a lawyer with the Southern Poverty Law Center who is part of that organization. They do a great job on covering extremist organizations, but they've just shifted all their efforts into exacerbating or exaggerating the concept that the greatest threat to America remains white supremacist when there's way greater threats out there, not to belittle the threat that white supremacists cause. One of those threats is what we're talking about right here. In Cop City, that's what they call this training center area that's under construction right now. On March 5th or 6th, without looking back to see what day it was, they, the Antifa and these eco-activists were about a mile away at a festival, a music festival, which wasn't really a music festival, it was just a place to gather and conduct direct actions out of to move over to Cop City. So they, they were doing a music festival there. Uh, basically, you know, the whole get rid of the police, defund the police, no peace without justice because one of their rioters or direct action conductors was recently shot after he was allegedly shooting at police and shot a police officer. So they left the festival. They snuck through the woods. They changed out of their fun hippie clothing and changed into black block attire, you know, covered their whole face, wore black clothing, hoodies, black boots, and they began trespassing and vandalizing and committing arson, throwing firebombs at police, shooting commercial fireworks at police, destroying every piece of equipment they could find. A whole lot happened. And so that's the latest event that just occurred. They were, you know, from throwing rocks, knocking over fences, setting fires everywhere, including to the forest they're trying to protect. But yeah, you still got that going on there, and it, it's just getting worse. Every week that passes, it's getting worse. But police have, over the past about 30 days, really cracked down on the trespassing, and that's why we're seeing a lot more attention drawn to what's happening over in quote-unquote cop city. So let's talk about some of the smaller things going on. So recently over in London, England, 
We saw about 70,000 protesters take to the streets to bring awareness to the adverse effects of the COVID-19 vaccine. The group organized speakers who discussed the disapproval and distrust of the government and mainstream media, specifically the BBC. Since we're talking about overseas, let's jump over to Russia. After that one-year anniversary hit from when Russia first invaded Ukraine last year, Russians themselves, the actual citizens, are protesting their country's invasion. During the crackdown on the anniversary date, 55 protesters were arrested. And these were actual just protesters, not rioters, not people conducting direct actions, just people on the street in public areas saying they were against the invasion. So in Russia, you get arrested simply for protesting. In the U.S., you get arrested for rioting, and then it's the police's fault. And back to the U.S., in Orlando, Florida, at Murphy's Pub, there was a child-friendly drag queen event that was going to be held there. A lot of protests came out against it, mainly online, saying that, you know, since it's promoting itself as all ages, they're trying to attract children. It got a lot of negative feedback, especially in Florida, which mostly is against this sort of thing, and they actually ended up canceling the event. But over in Queens, New York, Black Bloc and Tifa militants, they counter-protested at a demonstration opposing a drag queen story hour. So protesters went there because this drag queen story hour where, you know, men dressed as women in scantily clad clothing were going to be reading books to children. So protesters targeted this because, for one, they're against the idea of that happening in front of children, but also it was at a taxpayer-funded library. It was at the Jackson Heights Public Library. So since protesters were going to be there, Antifa said, we'll be there too. So Antifa threw some large rocks at some of these anti-grooming protesters and was arrested. And to give you an update, this is actually something that happened back in 2020. So in Raleigh, North Carolina, a protester was arrested back in April of 2020. He was arrested, or she was arrested, for joining an, quote, Reopen NC event. This is basically, Reopen NC is a group that opposed COVID-19 lockdown measures. So she was arrested for protesting against that same executive order signed by the governor to, you know, enact these, these COVID-19 measures. So at the time, Raleigh Police Department responded to questions on why she was arrested, since she was just protesting, didn't, didn't riot or do anything like that. But at the time, they said... Quote, pro, this is the Raleigh Police Department, said, quote, protesting is a non-essential activity, end quote, as the reasoning for why she was arrested, because the only those with essential activities were allowed to be, you know, doing that sort of activity in that area, and she likely wasn't wearing a mask outside while protesting, so they said that was the reason it's not essential activity. Well, that was in April, so obviously you know what happened shortly after that. The George Floyd incident happened, and then... Mass protesting was permitted, so there's the two flips of the coin there. Oh yeah, so I was trying to give you an update on her, and that update is her charges were all dismissed just this month. So yeah, at least the charges were dismissed a couple years later. All right, we're going to shift into national defense, national security, and things related to such. If you haven't noticed already, this is going to be a much larger part podcast than we've done uh, here recently. We're, we're combining a couple weeks of news into one podcast since we didn't get on the air last week. So let's talk about it. So in South Dakota, the Senate there has blocked a bill that would restrict foreign land purchases. So the governor of South Dakota promoted a pass, the passage of Senate Bill 185. This is the one that's going to create a state-level version of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. So that's CFIS, that's the federal level. They wanted that for their state. 
The idea was it's going to be used to block foreign investment in U.S. land within that state. The governor referred to a recent activity by the CCP, Chinese Communist Party, where a land purchase in North Dakota was taking place, or actually already took place, and they were trying to build that corn plant there. It was near the Air Force Base. So she was kind of quoting that as a reason for why this bill was needed. Those opposing the bill wasn't so much because they were outwardly supporting China, but they said that even though they believed the governor was trying to do the right thing and that this bill actually would prevent you know, the foreign investment in land here in the U.S., it would also give too much power to the governor to veto things in the event you know a different governor or maybe from a different party took control in the future. Sounds like just some rewording, some amendments could be done to that bill and maybe it would get support and hopefully it does and with those amendments and gets passed. So the Department of Defense, they have a, a cloud server. It's through Microsoft Azure. So this cloud server apparently was exposed and accessible to the public for two weeks due to a misconfigured setting. So it's not immediately known if any hostile actors access that server. But while it didn't contain any classified material, it did contain things like SF-86s, which is applications when you're applying for a security clearance, like a, a TS or a secret clearance. If you had knowledge of the IP address, you'd have unfettered access to everything on the DOD's cloud. And the Office of the Director of National Intelligence released an intelligence report negating prior assessments that Havana Syndrome was caused by foreign adversary using a directed energy weapon, or DEW. So Havana Syndrome is that we, we saw over the past probably three or four years where CIA agents, even officials and politicians here, I believe it was in Washington, D.C. and New York, were suddenly getting sick for no reason, like on the spot, you know, either throwing up or getting headaches. And the concept that a lot of intelligence, the IC community was saying, was that it was caused by a directed energy weapon by a foreign adversary, like able to shoot a laser of sorts to make someone sick. Well, now the National Intelligence Director says that's not what happened, but there's a lot of conflicting reports. But this is the newest one, and it's saying that it's not being done by a foreign adversary. However, a collection of U.S. officials and federal agents who were actually victims of Havana Syndrome they said that the new report, quote, does not track with our lived experiences, nor does it account for what many medical professionals across multiple institutes have found in working with us. Our doctors have determined that the environmental or pre-existing medical conditions did not cause the symptoms and traumatic injuries or to our neurological systems that many of us have been diagnosed with. So the Intel report said that these people got sick because of prior symptoms and prior injuries. So still, that's up for debate, but we'll shift over. The Secretary of the U.S. Army has advised that if the U.S. becomes involved in an Indo-Pacific war, basically if China invades Taiwan and the U.S. plays a large role, like we are in Ukraine, a large role in supporting Taiwan, that, quote, the United States homeland would be at risk as well with both kinetic attacks and non-kinetic attacks. So this is saying we'd be at risk with, you know, possible invasion ourselves, a possible missile strike, or smaller things like more cyber attacks. So the uh, Secretary of the Army advised that China would directly threaten the U.S. in a manner that would require U.S. military forces to be deployed stateside. The Secretary explained that the attacks would be conducted to erode support for U.S. involvement in such a conflict, whether it be Taiwan or elsewhere, but obviously she's talking about Taiwan. And she specifically mentioned that cyber attacks on the power grid or pipelines could be one of those non-kinetic attacks. 
and that she further said that with, quote, no doubt that the U.S. Army would be, quote, called to provide defense support to civil authorities and play a role here at home. And finally, as we're about to shift over into government oversight, this one kind of has a role in both national security and oversight. So the DOD expended $1.6 million, at least $1.6 million, to shoot down three, quote, unidentified objects, end quote, which reports now indicate were routine recreational balloons that pose no threat. President Biden once said, we don't know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from any other country. He went on to explain that they could just be promotional balloons from a car dealership. By he, I'm talking about President Biden. So we got this figure of $1.6 million just by knowing how many missiles were shot. They use those AIM-9X Sidewinders, which cost $400,000 a piece, including one that missed. They don't even know where the one that missed landed, and they haven't recovered anything of these three balloons. All right, let's shift into government oversight. The Department of Defense in the past year under the Biden administration has provided about $30 billion in security assistance for Ukraine. In other congressionally approved funding for Ukraine, this involves other things from humanitarian assistance to kind of non-direct DOD-related assets. The U.S. has contributed $113 billion in aid to Ukraine. So to kind of give a concept of this, like how much money really is that, the U.S. spent $146 billion in total for 20 years while we were in Afghanistan. So for 20 years in Afghanistan, from actually sending soldiers there and fighting for 20 years and providing humanitarian assistance to Afghanistan, it cost us $146 billion. And now, if you add up the numbers here, you've got pushing well over $100 billion already in one year to Ukraine. And continuing in our oversight briefing, you probably already heard that Speaker McCarthy allegedly, or actually not even allegedly now, it's obviously happened, provided 41,000 hours of footage of the events from January 6th, 2021. He's provided that video footage to Fox News' Tucker Carlson. After news of that broke, before it was confirmed, CNN, ABC News, CBS News, LA Times, all the big guys, they uh, sent a letter to Congress demanding that they also be provided with the footage. Which, yeah, I mean, everybody should have the footage be out there publicly. And now we're seeing a lot of videos, especially from Tucker Carlson, showing videos of stuff happening that has been hidden for quite a while from the shaman guy being escorted around, almost like he was being given a tour, to more videos of police letting people enter or showing reasons why police step back, you know, such as a smoke bomb being accidentally deployed on police. Also that Brian Sicknick guy who the left still says was murdered by far-right MAGA protesters. Obviously, he wasn't, not only according to the medical examiner's office report, but now this video is out showing him walking around, finding Dandy after the supposed attack, which I think was just he got exposed to OC spray. And they say that's what killed him. So anyway, all the videos out there, everyone's airing it. So if you want to see some of the videos that have been hidden for a couple years now, it is out there if you're interested in that. So we started seeing some smaller news organizations talk about how medical ID devices are being given out to or distributed to citizens there in East Palestine following the train derailment and all that vinyl chloride getting out. So we wanted to look into it. 
So yeah, they've actually said that their goal is, quote, to have 100% of our residents and citizens we serve in the township to have one of these, end quote, devices. So yeah, they're trying to get these devices out there, but this came back in October. This is when they first started this campaign to get these My ID devices. These are like QR codes or RFID on them, and you can scan them. EMS can scan them and find out, you know, what's this person's allergies, what's their emergency contact. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're distributing them, but it happened back in October before the train derailment happened. But that also opens up some other conspiracies, like have they been planning this since October? I think the two are completely unrelated, but. Yeah, any sort of device like this could be a gateway to further government overreach. So, in all, the, the push for these IDs following a hazmat incident suggests undeclared knowledge that citizens will be becoming sick in mass. And like I said, any introduction of such ID could be a precursor to government overreach, even if that's not the initial reason why it was proposed. And also you've got the privacy and security concerns. The citizen could be compromised by hostile actors. You know, think of someone scanning one of these devices surreptitiously and getting access to their PII or even hacking the landing pages that these devices send to EMTs and maybe they put a DNR on there when someone didn't want a DNR. So it's one of those things like it's great, you know, especially if you're a first responder, you can immediately get appropriate aid to someone that's maybe not awake to tell you. Oh yeah, kind of separately, uh, Tony Blair, the previous Prime Minister of UK, he's begun a campaign now promoting a controversial plan to give every British citizen a digital ID that would, quote, entail the utilization of new biometric technology to store the person's passport, driving license, tax records, qualifications, and their right-to-work status, end quote. And this is while global organizations such as the World Trade Organization and the World Economic Forum continue to push national governments to introduce digital infrastructures that monitor COVID-19 vaccines. So that's why I say these are precursors to things like that. By themselves, a medical ID, great, but it's a precursor. An FBI whistleblower has reported that in the wake of the leaked draft SCOTUS, this is the one about abortion, Roe v. Wade, the FBI created a threat tag that would be assigned to a case related to those threats against SCOTUS justices. He then said, the whistleblowers, who I'm talking about, he then said that an individual threat would then be divided into multiple cases in order to exaggerate the number of domestic violent extremist incidents. And the whistleblower testified before the House Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government expressing concerns that the FBI prioritized threats by pro-life activists against SCOTUS over pro-choice activists. And obviously we know the decision would have upset pro-choice activists and not upset pro-life activists. So this whistleblower saying it was concerning that all the focus was put on the one or two or none of the threats that pro-life people were having. So to kind of clarify what I'm trying to say here, the FBI said, quote, they shifted and began focusing on pro-life adherence. So it's a two-pronged issue. The whistleblower says, one, they prioritized threats by the pro-life when there were almost no threats by the pro-life community. And two, when there was a threat by the pro-life community, they would split those threat tags off to make it seem like all the threats were coming from the pro-life side. So yeah, there's that whistleblower. I should have mentioned this earlier while we were talking about East Palestine, but an Ohio Department of National Resources report that came out on February 23rd, it said that following the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, 
43,000 animals have been reported dead. So it's claiming these animals are just aquatic animals. So we're mainly talking about fish. So 40,000 of the fish in nearby rivers and streams and ponds have now died. They said that, quote, there is no evidence that any terrestrial animals were killed by the train's chemicals, end quote. Of course, this, this contradicts dozens of uh, local and conflict journalists who are on the ground showing pictures of dead chickens and livestock up to 35 miles away from the scene. But at least ODNR has admitted 40,000 plus fish and other aquatic creatures have been killed by the train derailments chemicals. All right, kind of keeping with our government oversight, we're going to shift into the COVID-19 aspect. So the U.S. Department of Energy has concluded that the COVID-19 pandemic this is concluded with low confidence, but they've concluded that the COVID-19 pandemic was likely caused by a laboratory leak, presumed to be that in Wuhan, China. The FBI previously made a similar conclusion with moderate confidence that the pandemic was caused by a lab leak. Other U.S. agencies remain split on where COVID-19 came from, but yet yeah, it came from the lab in Wuhan. So after that, the director of the FBI concurred with the recent DOE assessment on the cause of the COVID-19 pandemic, saying that, quote, the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan, end quote, which he described as a leak from a Chinese government-controlled lab, end quote. The U.S. Senate has unanimously passed the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023, this one seeks to require the Biden administration to declassify intelligence related to the origins of COVID-19 and investigate connections of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is what causes COVID-19, to investigate those connections to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China. On our dead drop feature on Telegram Signal, we dropped a draft copy of the WHO CA agenda. I'm not going to get into it here. It's pretty deep, and that's why we dropped the PDF document, because it's kind of hard to even talk about unless you've looked at the document. But it's basically an effort by the WHO to increase surveillance and control what they call misinformation. All right, let's shift into our infrastructure briefing, talking about the power grid. So attacks on the U.S. power grid have increased 71% in 2022 in relation to 2021. So an industry analysis review of the U.S. power grid found that physical attacks increased by 71% in 2022 compared with 2021. They said that, quote, this will likely increase this year, as in 2023. This is according to data from the Electricity Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or EISIC. It's a division of North American Electric Reliability Corporation, NERC. So NERC reports that ballistic damage, intrusion, and vandalism accounted for the majority of the increase in physical attacks to the grid and physical security incidents. Those are the, the ones that didn't exactly involve a direct attack. That physical security incidents increased by 20% since 2020. So expect this sort of stuff from substation attacks to cybersecurity attacks to continue. Also, just kind of for your situational awareness, a uranium fire was reported at the Y-12 National Security Complex in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So the fire was contained within the production area. There were no injuries or contamination detected. I believe Nuclear Security LLC was the ones that handled the cleanup at the D Department of Energy Uranium Processing Facility. So this is Quote, one of the primary chemical processing and enriching uranium production facilities. So, yeah, fire at our uranium facility. And moving on, Pemex, which is an oil refinery. And so, in the span of one week, they suffered three separate pipeline or facility explosions or fires. This was at two locations in Mexico and one location in Texas. 
and actually I said one week but actually all occurred on the same day so in a single day three different oil refineries related to Pemex exploded or caught fire eight were injured and at one point five were unaccounted for I haven't looked back to see if those five were recovered or if they were killed as well separately at another location there were two workers that were in vehicles that collided at an oil refinery, a Pemex oil refinery in Hidalgo, Mexico, on the same week, and both of them were killed. So shifting out of infrastructure, let's move into supply chain and sustainability briefings. So number one, asthma. Asthma medication has seen a shortage really since, what, April of 2020? Last year, in October 2022, we saw the FDA add this liquid albuterol, which is used for nebulizers to treat asthma. We saw it added to the FDA shortage list in October. And now, just here in the past couple of days, Acorn, which is a company that's been kind of struggling over the past couple of years with bankruptcy, but also one of the main producers of this liquid albuterol, they just suddenly shut down operations at their facilities in Illinois, New Jersey, and New York. And now it's reported that this closure threatens to prolong these shortages through 2023. Providers have already begun deploying workarounds, hunting for supplies, modifying doses of albuterol in their own pharmacies to suit those needs, which is, this is called compounding. Wholesale sellers have barred hospitals from ordering more than their usual supply because hospitals are already know there's a shortage and they need it to treat you know, ER asthma patients. But now wholesalers have stopped hospitals from ordering in bulk to avoid what they call stocking up and hoarding. Other manufacturers such as Nephron out of South Carolina, they keep getting violations from the FDA. You know, they're being cited by the FDA for kind of minor things. Nephron lost 70 employees over one violation citation. So definitely expect this shortage of liquid albuterol used for nebulizers. Uh, to continue. And if you're needing a rescue inhaler more than once a week, you need to start taking some sort of action right now. And I'm not going to tell you what action to take, but you know, I know some people that have said they've lost their inhaler to get another one. Just keep that in mind. I don't know how bad this is going to get. Like I say, it's been going on since 2020. Nothing's been done about it yet. And even though it was on a shortage for two years, the FDA waited until fall of last year to even officially say that. And now you have this major event with ACORN closing, so make preparations if you use that medication. Moving on to contaminated fish. Yeah, so U.S. freshwater fish are being found contaminated with forever chemicals. There was this analysis done. The Environmental Working Group, the EWG, they looked at 500 samples of freshwater fish from all sorts of bodies of water across the continental United States, and they found that there was a median of 9,500 nanograms of contaminants per kilogram of fish. So this is about like drinking a month's worth of contaminated water. Eating one fish is like drinking a month's worth of contaminated water. And it was only found in freshwater fish, so not saltwater fish. And it was only found in non-commercial fish. So they tested fish that, you know, if a company has a business, say on the Ohio River and they're fishing, their fish don't have this contamination. However, if you're fishing from a private place, like a, a public park or somewhere off your land, those are the fish that are being found with contaminations. And by contaminants, I'm talking about PFAS. PFAS is that per polyfluoroalkali substance, or PFOS, or PFAS, either one. But it's just kind of suspicious. It's not in commercial fish. It's not in saltwater fish. It's just on 
the type of fish that the regular Joe Smo would go out and catch himself. So consider that in your situational awareness if you're using fish to sustain your sustenance. And my take on it would be these commercial fishermen, they probably are a little bit more on top of what type of contaminants are being dumped into the rivers near them versus local and state authorities being concerned with what contaminants are being dumped in public waters by these large corporations that have these contaminants. And if you don't know what PFAS is, it kind of made its way around the world through Teflon pans. This is where you first started hearing about it from the substance Teflon is made with. But now it's in everything. It's whatever wrapper or container your food is in at a grocery store, whether it be a cereal box or the wrapper around a slice of cheese, that's what PFAS is. Also, if you're interested, on Telegram and Signal at the Gray Man Briefing, we dropped a preparedness brief on rainwater harvesting. So we composed a whole summary of different regulations and restrictions on citizens' ability to collect and store rainwater for everything from gardening, irrigation, to consumption. And we found some interesting things. Like you would think certain states like Texas or Georgia or Kentucky would be really open to letting the free citizen collect rainwater. But look at our report on it. You know, some of the ones that required a permit to collect rainwater were places like Arkansas, Idaho, Kansas, Utah even. But like I said, we did a state-by-state -state summary. I'm not going to go through all 50 states here with you, but just be aware, if you're interested, go to www.graymanbriefing.com. That's Grayman with an A. And on Telegram, we have an archive of all of our past briefings. So if you're just joining now, you still get access to every briefing we've ever done, including everything I just talked to you about already. And what we try to normally do here, we like to end with the Second Amendment briefing. So we'll go over some things for you now. So this is like cybersecurity slash Second Amendment. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, since I just mentioned cybersecurity, one quick thing. A criminal hacking group called Biden Cash. Biden, like the president, this is just what they named their hacking website. They just dropped 2 million financial data from 2 million different accounts onto their website. And this data included everything from credit card numbers, expiration dates, CCV codes. It was from credit cards, debit cards, and charge cards. And they say that because this contained data that you scrape off the internet, like basically what happened here, they didn't get these credit cards from random people by stealing their credit card. They got it from the internet. Like maybe they were skimming a website or using a phishing campaign or whatever. But they have the names, emails, phone numbers, and home addresses of these people as well. So this makes, not only is their financial information at risk, like their credit card, but they're vulnerable to other attacks like phishing, identity theft, and other scams. So pay attention to this sort of thing because you need to plan ahead, you know, whether it be what everyone always tells you, put on a virus protector for your computer, but just be aware, take extra precautions. You know, websites that look real or not, you know, the main thing they're getting us with now, hopefully none of you guys are smart enough to fall for these text messages that keep just bombarding our phones. Like, you're really going to fall for it, but some people do, and they try to do it at times when you're most vulnerable at night or early in the morning where you're either rushing off to work or you're in the middle of a sleep and you wake up to this text saying your Amazon package is going to be returned if you don't respond right away. But just take some precautions, you know, maybe get one of those identity theft insurance plans, activate those credit card alerts, pay attention, monitor your cards. But uh, yeah, let's move into the Second Amendment. I kind of got off base there. I wanted to mention that. 
since we're talking about cybersecurity. So an online firearms auction and service, gunauction.com, has been breached. Actually, it was breached a while back, but just got revealed that it was breached. The personally identifiable information of 565,000 accounts were exposed, and this included full names, addresses, email addresses, plain text passwords, credit card types, gender, year of birth, telephone numbers. So they say with this data that you can take a public listing and resolve it back to that person so you can locate who has that gun with the stolen information. The website claims that they have no reason to believe any financial information was accessed, although they did get the credit card type and other information they can use to risk your finances. It happened in December. We just found out about it this month. They've told people to remain vigilant and monitor their financial accounts and credit reports for any suspicious activity. But yeah, 500 plus thousand people who's used gunauction.com just had their data breached, or I should say exposed. All right, so I've got a national summary here for you. Man, there's so much to tell you about each one of these, but there's not time. So I'm gonna give you a quick rundown. So in Minnesota, there were bills introduced into legislature to increase background checks for firearms transfers between family members and also the bills related to enacting extreme risk protection orders. So that's Minnesota for you. In West Virginia, the Campus Self-Defense Act has passed. It's going to permit concealed carry on college campuses. And this isn't just a concealed carry where you can have your firearm locked in your car like This is saying, yes, you can bring it into the school. An amendment to Arkansas's House Bill 1013 was filed this month. This is the one that would modify the law on the possession of firearms by certain convicted felons. Basically, after a set period of time, they would be able to carry a firearm again. Typically, they would be banned from that. And over New Mexico, House Bill 101, or the Large Capacity Magazine and Assault Weapons Act, has been introduced. The bill would make it illegal to possess, transfer, or sell or manufacture any magazine or belt that can accept more than 10 rounds unless the magazine has been permanently modified to accept 10 or less rounds. So if you already have a magazine that can't be modified, it's illegal if this passes. They would also ban the sale or possession of any pistol or rifle with more than 10 rounds or shotgun with more than 5 rounds and any other standard attachments or modifications such as pistol grips, foregrips, conversion kits, barrel shrouds. So that's New Mexico for you. Over in Colorado, House Bill 23-1165 has been introduced and is being considered by committee right now. So this is the bill that would allow county-level governments to designate unincorporated areas as an unlawful discharge area by repealing the private property and minimum population density requirements. So basically, they're going to do some kind of underhanded stuff to make it illegal to shoot a gun in your backyard. That's Colorado for you. South Carolina's passed HB 3594, the constitutional carry bill, which would allow citizens to carry a firearm openly or concealed without basically a permission slip from the government. It recognizes the right of law-abiding adults to carry a firearm for self-defense without having to pay fees or obtain permission. But yeah, that bill's now moving to the Senate. Like I said, the House passed it. Now the Senate's got to pass it. A similar bill came through in 2021. It failed by three votes. I think they've got one or two more Republicans now, but it's still kind of probably not going to pass. If it passes, it'll be by a singular vote. And if it passes, South Carolina would be the 26th state to allow carry without permits. That's it. That's uh, all I've got for you. Not only for the Second Amendment, but that's our briefing for the past couple of weeks. Remember... Follow us on Instagram at we're Gray Man Brief there, but everywhere else online we're www.graymanbriefing.com. And this is Wes from Super SE. We're just a pass through for Gray Man to do their thing. I try to stay in touch with the group as much as I can, and you know, 
this is this is good info, good intel, which is why I'm here in front of you reading it out and trying to make sense of everything going on in the world right now. That's it. I'm signing out. You guys take care. Thanks for listening to this podcast. So before we head out of here, let us know what you think of these briefs by emailing us at help at ultimatesurvivaltips.com or you can contact us through our website and the home base for this podcast, ultimatesurvivaltips.com. If you'd like to be even further ahead of the preparedness curve and get daily briefs from Wes delivered privately to you, Wes is giving Survival Show podcast subscribers $1 off the normal monthly subscription cost of $5. So for only $4 a month, you can get daily intelligence briefings from Wes when you go over to graymanbriefing.com and enter code GBCUST at checkout. All right, that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.